Hi, friend. On the Finding Something Real podcast, we listen to stories told by young women, hear questions or objections about God, and invite guests on to explore answers found in Jesus Christ. I am currently busy working with other people behind the scenes to create some awesome content for Season 7. During this preparation time, you are listening to a replay episode from Season 6. The episode you're about to listen to is one of several episodes recorded and dedicated to the young woman who's mentioned at the beginning of the episode, because it's her questions being addressed. In some cases, she even co-hosts these conversations with me. In this episode, challenged and encouraged me in my own faith journey, and whoever you are or wherever you're at with faith, I hope it does the same for you. This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Hey friend, I'm so looking forward to sharing today's episode with you. Can anyone be more loving than God? And who or what gets to have authority in one's life? And what really matters? Those are questions that we'll be talking about in today's episode, and you're going to hear a deep dialogue that evolves between two people about things that do matter, things like beauty, truth, and goodness. Today's guest is a friend of mine, Lexi. I love how Lexi graciously responds to some of the things that Rachel shared. And I'm also excited because Rachel is back for this episode, and I know you'll love hearing her honest perspective as well. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to mention something that I shared last week. Finding Something Real is in the process of trying to raise additional funds for our next season, season seven. We would like to create helpful short videos from our podcast conversations and share them faithfully with people who have genuine questions about faith. I love the way that an audio podcast creates a kind of close atmosphere. In fact, over the past four years of podcasting, I've really enjoyed the quietness of being a primarily audio podcaster. But consistent video content creates more of an invitation for someone who's never listened before. So we want to reach more young people and share about the realness found in Jesus, and you can help. Simply go to findingsomethingreal.com backslash fundraising to learn more. And while you're over there on Finding Something Real, you can sign up to receive the free seven questions resource designed to inspire and equip you for deep faith conversations conversations kind of along the same lines as the one you're listening into today. Thank you so much, friend. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and you are listening in for season six, where we've been starting off each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. This month, our special co-host is Rachel Uh, from Washington State, kind of. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Rachel asked a lot of big questions in our first episode that aired a few weeks ago. And over the past couple weeks, I've gone on a bit of a deep dive into some of her questions with guests, Drs. Paul Copan and Doug Grotheis. If you haven't listened to what Paul and Doug had to say, I encourage you to listen to their episodes. But Rachel, today you are here and it's been a while since we've talked. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's been a summer of transitions and moving and lots and lots and lots of growth. I graduated my program and freshly two weeks after that, 
got a job right away, which I was not anticipating. Um, ironically enough, called David and Goliath. Um, and so that has been very exciting. Um, I got uh, over the course of the summer, I have started dating a wonderful partner of mine, which has been new and a little exciting, and a little scary all at the same time. And um, yeah, pretty much from there, I went to Burning Man, I survived Burning Man, um, started the job uh, a day after I got back. And then as of two weeks ago, I'm in LA. So it's just been just kind of receiving, receiving God. We're just, we're just receiving God right now. (laughs) (laughs) Letting him pick us up like little leaves on the wind. And sometimes it's a gentle breeze and sometimes it's a hurricane. And I would not have gotten through any of that without him. So it's it's crazy. But now we're kind of settling down right now. We're in the settle down phase. We're getting adjusted to a new spot. And I just, I feel really thankful for that. I feel really, really thankful for that time. So that's the latest. Okay. Well, Burning Man, there was a flood there, right? Wasn't there something going on like that? Mm -hmm. That's that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So the the, the flood was fun. Um, (laughs) A little, a little deathifying at a couple different times. Of course, the, the media kind of took it and ran with it and, there are parts parts of what they were communicating that were absolutely dead on parts that were very 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 much exaggerated so i feel very lucky that i had wi-fi while i was there and was able to communicate with everybody but um yeah it was i mean you you know me janelle like i i love a little a little hippie vibe i love connecting with people looking for the truth in whatever that truth manifests as and always been a bit of a seeker that way so wow. I don't know if I'd go again I'm a little on the fence about that after the nine hour line trying to leave that was a little scary but wow it wow was a burn I will say that <laughs> and then just real briefly tell whoever's listening about your your partner your boyfriend did is he living down in LA too how did you meet him uh I met Joey at a LARP um which was very cute and sweet um Joey is kind of in the public eye in the D&D world um what's and, that what is D&D what? I don't oh, even uh, Dungeons and Dragons so uh-huh. We got the hippie, we got the Christian, we got the nerd going on, like all, all in pretty equidistant pieces. So yeah, Joey is um, a pretty well-known um, game designer for Dungeons and Dragons and has been in that world for a long time. And I did not know this until our first date. Um, and yeah, it was it was quite bizarre to be sitting with this person and having these conversations and just having these little casual names that were dropped about other well-known people in in the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop roleplay world. Um, yeah, so right now uh, we've been going strong for three and a half, four months now. Um, taking it day by day, uh, I let them know pretty much immediately. Uh, I was like, hey, we got some groundwork that you have to be okay with. 
number one, I will probably be moving in two months. And number two, um, this is my faith system. I'm still exploring a lot of facets of it. I don't know where I land fully yet, mm. but this is kind of it's kind of my thing. I hope you're okay with that. And first day, Joey was very much like, well, I, I really like you. I really want to get to know you, but I got to think about the long distance piece, like the other piece I'm totally, totally excited for, totally supportive of. Joey comes from a Unitarian Universalist Christian background, so very much the hippie, the hippie chunk, hippie chunk of Christianity. Um, and so, uh, so he's got some, he's got some uh, ways to work with that. Um, and was absolutely loving and accepting of it and has been excited to hear about it the whole time. And um, yeah, pretty much on a second date, <laughs> Joey looked at me and was like, yep, all right, cool. Let's, let's do this. Let's try this. Let's give it a shot. So we've been giving it a shot. Um, and so now that I'm newly down here, that of course does, um, does add some weird, weird obstacles to the occasion. But right now the flow is going to be after they get back from uh, Australia, where they're going to a full on con uh, conference over there, leading a bunch of panels. Um, when Joey gets back, it's going to essentially be one week down, a week break, a week up, break, week down, break, week up, break. As far as me going home to visit once a month for a long weekend, because hmm. again, I have the two days I have to be in. And then Joey will be coming down to me since uh, Joey works full-time remote. Um, it's much easier for them to be able to come down to me. So yeah. Wow. Wow. And just real quick, what are you doing in LA? What is your new job? So I'm a junior art director for David and Goliath. So I'm responsible for, along with my copywriting partner, um, coming up with concepts and designs and visuals for uh, some of the really big advertisements that go on. So um, David and Goliath is responsible for Kia, Kia Advertising, Jollibee, which is essentially a, a really big California brand in fast food. Um, we also have some other accounts on the docket, uh, like we have the California Lottery. Um, there's a couple more, which I'm blanking on off the top of my head, but the biggest one is definitely Kia. And so I've been wow. working. But yeah. That's cool. Uh, Jolly Bee, like the Jolly Bees in the Philippines, Jolly Bees, that fast food chain. I believe so. Again, I'm I'm two weeks in, so it's, when I, uh, I don't work directly on that account yet. So when we'll, I was fifteen, we'll I was exposed to Jolly Bees for the very first time. We were in the Philippines, and there was this Jolly Bees situation, and it was like as prevalent as McDonald's. And I'm like, where did this come from? And then years later. Up in Seattle, in the, I don't know, SeaTac area, uh, a Jollibee's popped up. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a real thing. You know, it wasn't just my imagination. <laughs> so, Rachel, I'm excited because we have somebody here today to talk uh, with you and uh, talk with us. Um, you said a lot in that very first episode, which I know we recorded a long time ago. So when you get a chance and can revisit it, it would be interesting to know where you land on some of the things we talked about back then. Um, but this is the last general episode of this month. I think we're recording. Actually, I don't know if I've sent you the invite, but there's one more that uh, got scheduled, um, which will be bonus content. Um, 
But whoever's listening, here's your invitation to become a Patreon supporter. Um, And you can find out more about that at findingsomethingreal.com. You can click on support at the top of the page. Um, But Rachel, I wanted to bring one more guest on to speak to your questions. Uh, This is a friend of mine, a woman who disciples others well with her knowledge and love for Christ and his word. I've been able to have the privilege of seeing her in action. Uh, She's a teacher and an apologist. And she's someone who's simply seeking to love Jesus and serve him well. Welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast, Lexi Zanias. Lexi, welcome. Hi, Janelle. Thanks for having me. And hi, Rachel. I'm so excited to get to talk with you. (laughs) (laughs) Did I pronounce your last name okay? No, but it's okay. (laughs) How do you you really pronounce it? (laughs) I know. Okay, say it for real. How do you really say it? So it's Zanias. Zanius. Okay. But most of my students call me Zanius or they call me Miss Z because who wants to try to pronounce a name if you don't have to? So, okay. Yeah. I tried. I really tried. <laughs> but you guys can call me Lexi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lexi, I'm so happy that you're here. Um, we met this past summer in a unique context. And just as a shout out to uh, that organization, would you mind sharing about Maven and uh, letting the listener know uh, how we met? Sure. Yeah. So both Janelle and I work as field guides for a group called Maven. Um, And Maven takes students, often youth groups together, sometimes schools on what we call immersive experiences. So basically they'll get some training and then they'll come to a place like Utah or LA. So around where you are right now, um, Flagstaff, Arizona, there's a couple different places we go. And basically we train students in how to have conversations with people and how to really learn to engage with people you might differ on and seek for truth and uh, yeah, just love people well. So I have absolutely loved working for Maven, mainly because I'm a teacher all year long and I get to see what throwing people into different situations does for their knowledge and their learning. And so, yeah, it's been an absolute privilege to work with them and to hang out with Janelle as we were in LA this summer together. So that was super fun. Yeah. And just recently in Salt Lake City, which was equally as fun and different. Very different. (laughs) (laughs) So you're a teacher, a writer, an apologist, um, meaning someone who gives reasons for the hope that you have in Christ. Um, What does all that look like for you at this point in your life besides leading some of these Maven groups? What are you busy doing on your day to day, Lexi? Yeah, for sure. So I live in North Carolina and I'm a teacher. So I get to teach science classes and also Bible and apologetic classes. My heart has always been, I don't, I guess like almost all the way back, I just love seeing people that light bulb turn on. Maybe that's what what drew me to being a teacher, but it's not so much that they understand photosynthesis, although I think that is super cool, (laughs) but it really is that they can understand who God is and what truth is and and purpose and hope. And those are all the really big questions that you might leave high school and never, never be able to tell me what photosynthesis is again. But if people are able to walk out knowing, hey, I, I think there is something out there. Um, I, I started off actually right out of college working at a boarding school for missionary kids out in Germany. Um, and from the very beginning, I had people just asking me the deep questions. And I was like, I want to know the answers to these things. I want to understand how to best explain and talk through. So just have done a lot of research on my own and um, asking God for wisdom and seeking truth. And so he just keeps putting me in situations where I get to talk to people and 
realize things that I don't know and need to go and search more on. Um, so it keeps you really humble. Um, but I think being an apologist really is something where you are trying to say, okay, like, why do I believe what I believe? Do I have reasons for it? Um, does it give hope? Does it make sense? Does it match up with with the world outside? Does it match up with the feelings that I'm wrestling with inside? Um, so yeah, so on my day-to-day, I am working with high school students pretty much every day <laughs> um, and and loving the privilege of, yeah, just getting to talk to real people um, and not just looking at a computer screen every day. Although you are real people on a computer screen. So that just like blows apart worlds there. <laughs> but, yeah. How did you become a Christian? What's your faith journey? What was that like for you? Woo. Okay. Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> You share whatever you want to. Okay. Pretty soon I'll let Rachel take over, but I've got a couple of guiding questions to get us there. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, Well, so normally when I tell my story of how God worked in my life, I actually start with my parents. So hopefully you won't mind me like jumping back a little in my history. Um, But I was born into a family that did not know Jesus. And so my parents both grew up in church settings. Um, Sorry, I'm holding my red pen because I'm teacher. Okay. Put down my red <laughs> pen. I was grading papers before I got on here. All right. Um, yeah. So I grew up in a family that was not, um, didn't know Jesus. My, both my parents had grown up in places where they had been exposed to church settings, a lot of really traditional things, but my mom, um, asked a bunch of questions when she was younger, which were not answered. And so at around 16, she was like, peace out. Like, I don't want to be a part of this. If you can't answer my questions, my dad, grew up in a very traditional setting as well. Um, And so he went to a Greek Orthodox church where everything was in Greek. And so he was like, I don't really even know what's going on (laughs) here. And so he pretty much loved the sciences. I think that's where I was drawn into the sciences too. Um, And by the time he graduated college and was out, he would describe himself as an agnostic, like didn't know if God existed, didn't really care. Like he was culturally Greek, um, And so my parents met each other. They ended up getting married and having my brother and I. And it wasn't until that point that my mom was like, my goodness, I have two little humans. (laughs) I want to teach them truth. And I don't know what truth is. So she had, um, again, kind of wrestled with, do I go back to the church that I was at before? How do I know if God is really real? Dabbled a little bit in the occult, trying to figure out, again, the spiritual realm. Um, And I actually like asked her specifically, part of her story because I wanted to make sure I was getting it right, (laughs) not telling it incorrectly. Um, But she just said she wanted to know truth. And so one night she was looking at the moon and said, God, I know you're real because there's no other explanation for what I'm looking at. I need to know truth. I need to know it for myself and for the two children I'm raising who need truth. I believe in God. I don't believe what I was taught. I don't think Jesus is God. I want to know who you are and I want to know your name. And that was like what she kind of said out to the sky. (laughs) Um, And a couple of days later, she had Jehovah Witnesses knock on her door. And so she invited them in and they asked if they could study the Bible. And she said, sure, like, let's study the Bible. So she studied with them for about six months and she was comparing what they said to the Bible. And she, and after a little bit, she just said, I really appreciate you coming and chatting with me, but what you're saying doesn't match the book in front of me. And I've been deceived before. So I'm kind of done studying with you. Um, so then after that, she did a lot of different things, but she was walking in the grocery store the one day and <laughs> 
she passed by the lady who gave birth in the same room as when my mom was giving birth to my brother. So, and she was like, what? Hey. And it had been a couple of years. So my mom had me as well. And so this lady also had two kids. So they ended up starting to set up play dates. And one point my mom just looked at her and said, do you ever think about God? And the lady said all the time and invited my mom to come to a Bible study with her. Now, again, kind of similar, you were just describing uh, your boyfriend and like his being like, cool, go on your journey. So my dad is a very like, just chill, sarcastic guy. <laughs> and he thought, well, it's not going to make, make my wife a worse wife if she goes to study stuff. So go ahead, sweetie, like do whatever you want. And so she started going to these studies. Um, and then she asked my dad to come along too, because she's like, I, I would really love for you to know this too. And for us to figure out things together. So they started going to this Bible study and asking questions. And they actually came with a list of questions to one of the Bible studies and the Bible study leaders took it and said, sure, let's, let's take a look at them, gave them back like the paper filled with references so that my parents had to go and search it out for themselves and not just take someone's word. So they did that for about a year and a half of like going to these studies, asking questions, digging in, trying to figure out what was true. Um, and again, just to get their words right, because it's their story. <laughs> um, basically, they they looked at each other um, and they they were expecting kind of like this road to Damascus experience where, you know, Paul was knocked off of a horse and like, this is God, like this must be him. Um, and they didn't, they didn't have that experience. Um, but they said to each other, this makes more sense than anything else we've learned so far. Like, are we Christians? <laughs> and they looked at each other and they said that certainty came from knowing that what Jesus said was true. There was no road to Damascus, no burning bush, no release from disease. We just knew it was true. And we were sure that we were saved because they knew that the work of God was to believe in the one that he had sent. Um, and so, so I grew up like at that point, I was less than five. And I grew up in this home where both my parents had come to know God and like started taking me to church, but they let me ask whatever questions I wanted. I never felt like Christianity was shoved down my throat. Um, I just saw an example of people who were willing to dig in and ask questions and research. And that was like such a great foundation for me. Um, absolutely love that. So when I was younger, um, so just a little bit after five, I did <laughs> in a really small way, my brother and I, whenever we got punished for speaking back to my mom, we didn't get soap in our mouth. We got black pepper. So today still like eating black pepper tastes like lying to me. It's awful. <laughs> but um, but at one point, my brother said, I'll, I'll take Lexi's pepper. Like, I'll take it for her. And, and in it, like that really simple way I, as a five-year-old recognized that I deserved a punishment and my brother was willing to take it for me. And Jesus, in a much bigger way, took my punishment for me if I was willing to accept that gift he gave. And so from five years old on, I really do believe that I had decided to follow Jesus. And um, man, at five, like you can only absorb so much, but every year he's grown me more and more in understanding who he is and what his word says. And um, he truly is just absolutely the best. And I would say that Jesus is my best friend and just, yeah. Like can't say enough about him. So that's like a really brief <laughs> summary of my my story because obviously I'm older than five and I've had a lot of life since then. Um, but I don't know how much more you want me to talk about that, Janelle. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that you shared about your parents and their experience and how that impacted the home that you grew up in. 
Um, Rachel, did you have any thoughts on that before I dive into some of the questions that you brought up before, or did you want to respond to Lexi? Oh, I mean, just that, that, that story of the, like the parents who are willing to sit with you in mm -hmm. the hard stuff, like in the questions that come up, like, especially in the last, I'd say probably five, six years, like having, have, like, you can so clearly see folks who were raised without that and had to come to that skill later versus um like folks who had that safety like had the had the confidence that their parents would be there with them um and I and I love the fact that I have seen and heard and, and witnessed people who had both sides of it come to healing and fruition and inspires like questions that dig deeper into loving God and into seeking God and I don't know I just I love hearing stories of that of of parents who are welcoming and accepting of of the harder stuff and so because it because it, it just it makes us more well-rounded beings even even if you find differences in, in what you do believe like it just it just makes you more connected to people at the at the base at the base of those things and then at ultimate ultimate realization is that you have this really strong bond in God in the way that you see God and so yeah that's just my little piece there but that reminded me of that and I thought that was really sweet well Lexi this is a little off topic but it, it comes back around um, when we were in LA, you gave a talk that I just thought was so precious and beautiful, very compelling. You talked about, and kind of going to Rachel's point, you know, not everyone has parents who are willing to uh, let them dive into questions, but you gave a talk about beauty being uh, an apologetic or an evidence of God. And it was so beautiful. There were some things that you shared there. So I was just wondering if you would briefly, maybe somebody's listening who didn't have that experience where they could ask hard questions, but they just need to be reminded of the truth that's found um, in God. And so I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about what you've learned about beauty as evidence for our creator. Sure. I do think that when we look out into the world, there are things that are objectively beautiful. Um, so we can talk about beauty being in the eye of the beholder. And of course, we'll find different people more attractive or more beautiful. But I think that we can look at things like, I don't know, a sunset or, um, yeah, just a landscape and compare that to like a burned building and know that there are things that are drastically different about them. Like one is beautiful in form and color and all these other things. And one is clearly something that has been broken and is destroyed and no longer beautiful. Um, and I think because there is kind of this consistency across the world and not just in nature, but in like well-designed parks or um, in beautiful buildings or in beautiful music or well-done paintings, like there are things that, whether it's form or structure or simplicity, like beauty draws us. And you could argue that beauty is a almost a transcendental experience that it makes us long for more. It's almost like an opening to, yeah, there's something more out there. Um, I think because we live in a world that is full of beautiful things, even though it's full of hard things too, that that actually gives more credibility to saying that there would be a creator because as a science teacher too, I know that 
if the world had just kind of randomly come into being, the amount of beauty that we have in this world doesn't seem to make sense. Like it seems like there would be less beauty. Um, but the fact that beauty like kind of is everywhere actually I think points more to a creator um, than not to a creator because it leads more towards like the simplistic understanding of look, look at look who did this. Look at what I mean, I don't know if I'm explaining this perfectly well. You'll have to bear with me because it's been a while since I've given this talk. Um, but but if objective beauty exists, essentially we're saying that there must have been something that like set that level of beauty. And it's the pointing to a God who is far above everything. Um, so I do just, I think that I have not met someone yet who has not been like struck by a sunset or struck by um, the beauty outside. Even C.S. Lewis, the someone who often is quoted as an apologist said that as he was traveling with his brother to the zoo, like on the ride to the zoo, he started off being an atheist. And when he got to the zoo, he was a theist, just that he had seen things in the world around being like, wow, there must be something more because the world is just beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, that's just a brief, like not really well <laughs> stated version of, of beauty. Um, but yeah. No, it's good. It? It's good. I, um, I actually ended up being inspired by you, as you know, and I gave a talk on beauty um, at an apologetics conference I went to at the end of July because you inspired me, Lexi. And it reminded me of a quote that I that struck me years ago um, and was by the French. I think she was a French philosopher, Simone Weil. Do you know who I'm mm -hmm. talking about? OK. Yeah. And she said there's only two things that pierce the human heart. One is beauty and the other is affliction. I thought, oh, man. There's a lot of truth to that. Um, yeah. yeah. And I know, Rachel, you're an artist. And so, yeah, you're dealing with beauty all the time, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And of course, I say that with kind of a caveat because the, the artistic qualities I work with are very much combined with, well, modern capitalism. There's, there's kind of a funky, a funky stop on a lot of the creativity I engage with because it's all for market value. It's for a very, very objective purpose. Um, but just in a personal sense, I remember having a beautiful conversation with an old friend of mine who talked about how she was an atheist until she realized that something had to make the flowers grow. And I have always remembered that. And, and even in times in my life where I had no, no idea what any shape of God could even look like, I always remembered that quote that she told me, that just that little snippet that she said of something has to make the flowers grow. Um, and how at the base of everything, whether whether you are confirmed on a faith path or whether you are not confirmed on a faith path and are still seeking or questioning or kind of kind of just not really looking to engage in a religious space like many of us are um, there's still that fundamental mystery that happens um, and I find that really beautiful I like and that was one of the original things that 
kept nagging at me or it's like something has to make this happen something has to be there something had to start all of this and so that's always been in my head even when I was full on in like my my pagan phase when I was in college like that was what drove me between all of my seeking and I'm, I'm still seeking like I'm never going to be like done seeking until I'm I'm pieced out of here right um but still like that reminds me a lot of that that quote I heard and I think a lot of us have that in us just like what is it what is it that really makes these beautiful things happen and for us on the Christian spectrum of course we look at an omnipresent but very deeply loving God who wanted to make this for us right um, or he wanted us to see this he wanted us to take part in it with him and I find that version <laughs> much more empowering much more motivating much more peaceful much more assuring than the reality without it and of course I have many friends who I love very dearly who are not not in that conversation and who do find immense power and joy with just admiring the mystery of the universe and leaving it be and honestly like it's not my personal choice I, I like I like knowing that I'm connected but yeah we all answer it in a different way and it's always fascinating to hear that but I do think it's interesting how the ancients would talk about the transcendence. They would talk about how truth, beauty, and goodness are the things that regardless of where you live and your yeah, socioeconomic level and like that those are the things that draw people in. And and I do think that that's why for me too, it's another echo of Christianity like claims to be the truth. It claims that there is goodness, that there's a moral standard. It also like the Christian story is just beautiful as well. Um, and so like when we're looking at beauty and again, you can look at these different levels of, of goodness, even within the beauty description. Um, I too have run into people who've said, here I am at this beach and they're like, it's just absolutely beautiful. And because I know God, like the, the colors and everything just even go deeper. But for me, I think I've always been like kind of an analytical mind and thinking, okay, like what caused this? How could we have all these different colors? How could we have this variety in a world without a designer? Cause it's just like so crazy beautiful. And again, like when we notice the brokenness, I think the brokenness also makes us say like, why do we notice that it's broken? Where is that line of goodness that, um, that we seem to say that it's broken from, you know? Yeah, you know, Lexi, as Christians, and I'll just say real quick too. I think of beauty as an invitation, right? It's an invitation mm -hmm. of knowing that there's something else out there, right? That as much as we might say, "Well, I'm content not to know," or "I'm content," you kind of have to turn your eyes from it. Isaac Newton famously said, "I, I think it was him, that in the absence of any other evidence, that the thumb alone would convince him of a creator." And that was hundreds of years ago. And now we look at science, right? And nowhere in the history of ever has anybody ever shared the same fingerprint as somebody else. Um, all we have to do is look as far as our thumbprint to know, wait a second, there's something, there's something special going on here. But Lexi, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I mentioned that quote from Simone Weil about beauty and 
uh, affliction. Um, as Christians, we often talk about the beauty of the gospel. Um, mm. But it's someone on the outside looking in, maybe someone like Rachel was referencing earlier, somebody who's not interested in, you know, the Christian faith story, um, who maybe wonders why we would call something so afflicting, so devastating, something good, specifically Jesus's death on the cross, Good Friday. For someone listening who's not familiar or who just wants to be reminded, can you share about the gospel and why that is beautiful? Sure. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, I, I think it's important to define beauty because beauty is something that brings satisfaction to whether it's the senses or um, like it, it just is fulfilling too. So that's why we can say that like a sunrise is as beautiful as a person. And I know when I talk about beauty with my students, they're like, well, only people are beautiful. I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> nope. Like there's something that, that beauty is satisfying. And so one of the reasons I think that the Christian story, the gospel is beautiful is because it is, I think, intellectually and emotionally and like in all ways satisfying. And in that, because I've never met someone who hasn't recognized that there's something off in the world, that there's something broken. Um, and so as Christians, we would say that there's sin, a brokenness that separates us from who God is being the ultimate beauty. And from that brokenness, when we read in the Bible, it tells us that the wages of sin, what we deserve for our sin is separation from God forever. But as Romans 5, 8 tells us, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he was able to take that punishment that we deserved and serve it for us. Just like my brother took that pepper, <laughs> right? In a much bigger way that Christ was able to take the punishment we deserved and, and take it on the cross and that God accepted that sacrifice and he was raised from the dead. And simply if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, like that is what it means to be a Christian, to follow him. Um, it, I think it is ultimately satisfying because we have a God who deeply, deeply loves us to the point where he gives us a choice to follow him or not. He gives us the free will to choose him but has offered up so much of like, I want you to be with me. Here's what it would look like to follow me. Um, and so I do think that every single person in the world longs for to be known and loved, which the gospel tells us that God deeply knows us more than anyone else and loves us. I think everyone wants to be part of a community. Um, and I do think that the gospel invites us in to be a part of the family of God, which again is what everyone's longing for. And that I think the, uh, the third thing that people long for is purpose. And again, like, the gospel tells us not only we are part of God's family, but we've been like God's workmanship created in him to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we have all these three, like, I think deepest needs that everyone holds met in the gospel. So I think that the gospel is deeply satisfying. I think it's beautiful in that way. But I also think there are so many evidences that point to the fact that it's true. Um, so those three transcendents I just talked about, I do think the gospel is, is good, beautiful, and true. But yeah, people might think it's weird to talk about it as being beautiful, but when we think of it as ultimately satisfying, um, I can't think of something that is more like satisfying to my soul. Other things are maybe um, satisfying for moments, but this one is satisfying for kind of ever. Hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Rachel? Yeah, there's there's pieces that creep up with it because. Um, Overall, 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think one of the, as, as someone who uh, left faith, came back to faith very recently, I think the number one thing that really brought me back, and of course, this was already shared in, in some of my previous uh, some of my previous interview about like how I came back, uh, some of the questions I still have around that. It's something I'm still very actively trying to piece out um, is like, okay, I know, I know this is my baseline, but what about the actual fullness of it? What about the actual fullness of my faith? What does it look like for me? How, how do I express it with people I care about? How does it shape? Uh, that's, that's still very actively being formed. Um, and one of the pieces which I sometimes have a hard time communicating with other people about is like seeing the beauty of of Christ's death like that is absolutely something that I treasure and have only really come to understand in the last year but a lot of times um people when they hear about faith when they hear about my version of my faith almost immediately what always comes up for most people I try to have conversations like that with is oh but did you keep this 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 and this in mind like but these don't make sense like are you okay with those not making sense and and there's there's very much tends to be like a reaction that will usually come out of like well how can you how can you believe this when this is also in there and this is in there and this is in there and this is in there and it, it can be kind of disheartening sometimes to be like, okay, like I'm, I'm new in this. I'm getting a lot of enjoyment from it for the, like for where I'm at in my life and I'm starting to grow into it. And like, just kind of feeling, feeling that sense of pressure that comes with the world of like, oh, well, you got to prove it. You got to prove mm -hmm. that you're in it to win it. You have to be like, you have to know everything. You have to have the answers to everything. And that's always something I've, I've, I've always wondered about that because there's there's a sense of proving like you have to like prove that you're like a real Christian um and kind of like you have to prove that like you know all the answers to everything but part of the beauty of the gospel in my opinion is that we're actively learning what those answers are like we have a baseline we got our 10 commandments we're good we got the 10 commandments down and we got the Sermon on the Mount down. Perfect. Excellent. We we got these two main baselines, people. And I just, I wish so often that the world understood that each individual Christian is working through these wonders with God. Like we are bringing these questions to God. We are reading the Bible constantly. We are talking with our friends. We are having different opinions from our parents who are all part of the same faith together um i wish people understood that there's beauty in that too like there's there's beauty in not knowing everything there's it's okay to let the beauty of god be a mystery sometimes that's okay my brain is not designed to hold the entire vast knowledge of the universe nor would i want it to there's books written about that it doesn't go well like <laughs> doesn't go well we're not designed for that is it good to seek yes yes absolutely like lessons and truths are revealed over the courses of our lives through experience and through growth and through conversations like these but 
that's something I really wish people understood, especially around people who are newer to faith or are reinvigorating their faith or trying to figure it out with community. It's just like, it's so exciting. And it can also be very, very scary mm -hmm. at the same time. The gospel is a really scary story in a lot of ways. There's a lot of people who have a lot of really differing opinions about it, who are all still in the same big old Christian family pile together, just like any other family. There's going to be some funky stuff in there of people trying to get along. And I think that's just a recent grief that that reminds me of, of just like, hey, guys, we're right in there with you. Like, we love the beauty of this world and we struggle with the strife of it, too, just like you. Like, just because we have our orientation for it that's built around Christ doesn't mean that we don't struggle with it, too, just as much as we don't admire it. So that was a bit of a ramble. I apologize about that. But no, you're good. And, and I'm actually glad you brought some of those things up because you weren't very specific on them. And if you want to get into some of the specifics, we definitely can. But you mentioned about a grief of um, just kind of a strife in the midst. I do think that in Christian circles that you, you might've heard this phrase that in essentials unity, that there are certain things that we agree on. And then in non-essentials, you know, liberty, that people can have some differing opinions and non-essential things. And then in all things, charity, that really it should be that we love each other well. Um, but I, like, I would say that some of the essentials would be who Jesus is and the person of, of Christ. And do we believe in the trustworthiness of the gospel and the Bible? Because a lot of the other things that end up being discussed come from those places. And, um, and it is true that no one should claim that they have the same level of knowledge as God. Like for sure, we're all on a learning aspect in that way. Like, I think sometimes I run around in circles where people have a lot more knowledge than I do. And it could be tempting to be like, oh no, like I don't fit in. Um, and yet, like, I know that God wants me to know truth, right? Like the idea that it's not like God's out here hiding truth somewhere, like, ha come and get it. Like he desires that we know truth. And um, at, in, in John, it talks about when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Like he wants to show us truth. And I love that. Um, so I do think that we can get caught up in things and, and have these arguments, but that there are some differences that really do matter in regards to essentials. And that's probably where people you've interacted with, like are getting like, oh no, like this is so important. Um, but I'm not sure if you're talking about like things from Christian circles or non-Christian circles when you brought that up. It tends to be, well, it's interesting because there's examples of both in many mm -hmm. ways. Um, in non-Christian circles, which I interact in and love, like my, my LARP group, for example, um, is predominantly non-Christian, but at the same time, um, it's a whole multi-faith community. I have a few dear friends who are Catholic, who are active in that circle. Um, an ex-partner of mine who brought me into that circle is a fellow Christian um, and like introduced me to that world. And there's multiple other Christians who are interacting in that space. And that community, I feel really blessed that they do an amazing job at being able to navigate those differences. But um, especially in the time before when I was like in in college, for example, I would be interacting in non-Christian spaces and it was not really accepted at all to be mm -hmm. remotely close to Christian. 
uh, where, and it was never outright said, but it was very much like, oh, oh, uh, oh, oh, okay, okay. What? I get that too. Okay. Yeah. Like <laughs> kind of that attitude. It's like, that, that's, that's cute. Okay. Like that very, um, like, we're not going to talk about it, but I'm clearly thinking something about it sort of attitude. And um, which, which probably barred me from a lot of being able to explore this earlier. And then um, much more recently and kind of throughout a lot of my life, I have uh, my, one of my best friends in this world is my dad. And he is a very Republican Christian, very Republican Christian. And he and I've done a lot of healing around that and learning a language where we can really talk to each other and be close and disagree on almost everything. And we don't hate each other for it. And we actively enjoy the discussion. But every once in a while, I will run into um, fellow Christians who very much kind of have that that assumption that hasn't really been shared of like what what it is. Like an example I can give is um, being supportive of the LGBT community. I'm very passionate about that. That's something that really, really affects me and has affected my life a lot. And I'll still run into it with my parents and community members who I adore, regardless of how they feel about that. But where it's just like, oh, well, like, you're just like, you're not listening to the gospel enough. If you, if you don't think exactly this way on this very specific subject, well, then you're not listening enough and everyone, and you'll get there eventually. So there's, there's different approaches in either field, but yeah, that's, that's kind of some of the examples I'll give in that space. And Thankfully, in in all of those relationships, the amazing thing that I've been able to come to in most of them is, um, and it's a skill that our world really needs to develop right now, is is in those friendships and in those connections, um, loving and committing to care for each other with those differences is easily the biggest piece that this world is really struggling with right now. So I feel very blessed in both of those circles that the people in them are very much looking at each other being like, nope, I love you. I don't agree with a damn thing that came out of your mouth, but I am going to love you even if it kills me. And so there's, yeah, that that alone is really inspiring. <laughs> and I credit that one to Jesus a lot for me. Otherwise, I would not be nearly that way unless Jesus literally sat me down at one point and was like, okay, <laughs> number one commandment, kiddo, you need to get this down. You will love people. Um, and yep, can't break that one. I owe him that. So. <laughs> Well, I love, I love that you love people. I think that that <laughs> is so important, right? Um, and you just actually defined tolerance, which should be that you actually disagree with people and you're still able to have a conversation because like that is what I think is missing today in this world where if people disagree, they don't even have the space to say, hey, here's my thoughts and here's why I disagree. But I, I do think definitions are so important. I mean, even what does love actually mean? Like, does it mean I care about someone and I must agree with everything that they do? Does it mean I care about someone and I have differing views on things and we can have discussions? Um, I once heard love described as I care about someone so much that I want the best for them, um, even if it means that doesn't include me or it 
it might mean making them angry, right? Like, so what does it actually mean to love people? And and I do think like you brought up there, you know, the world we live in with the politic politics today, like is crazy. And there's there seems to be just kind of lines of division. Um, there was a book and I'm going to forget the name of the book, so I will find it later, um, where it just described what the Christians were like in early Rome and how there were certain things that that they had in common. Um, so there were five things that really set them apart. The first one being that they were multiracial and unified across a wide range of ethnic boundaries. Like, so when you look at the church early on, they, they were in a place where like the Romans would sit people or the Greeks would sit people like, here's this one group of people and here is the less, lesser group of people sitting further away and like so much division. And then in the Christian church, it was like, no, we want everybody. I mean, you look in Acts at the first church and it's ridiculous, like how they're from all these different nations. Um, they were a community of reconciliation and forgiveness. So they, again, like recognize that they would mess up. Um, they were famous for their hospitality and their reaching out to the suffering. They also were very committed to the sanctity of life. Um, and they were a sexual counterculture, even in Rome. Like Rome, when you actually study, if you've ever studied the emperors, like they are crazy. <laughs> and the things that they did were crazy. But also there was just a lot like allowed in Rome that when when Jesus said things and when Paul said things in the New Testament, like it was shocking to people at that time. And so if it's kind of funny, if you look at that list of five, like two of them people would say are like liberal things today. And two of them people would say are conservative things today. So like the people would say that multiracial and like um, and hospitality and reaching out to the suffering would be liberal. And a lot of people would say that sexual countercultural and sanctity of life would be very conservative. And ironically, like neither side of the aisle is good at the second one, which is reconciliation and forgiveness. <laughs> and all five of those things match up with the biblical story. And so even in my classes, one of the things I'll say is like, I want us to talk about what the Bible actually says, because that's where I'm going to find truth. And I think there's a variety of reasons why it's a trustworthy book. But but regardless of what my culture tells me or what is on the right side or the left side or Republican or Democrat or any of those things, like I always want to go back to what the word says. And admittedly, the word says some pretty hard things about like standards that God has for us and and for our good because he actually loves us so um so yeah i mean that's kind of a brief thing like we can get into some more depth stuff too but um but i do think that probably the people who have talked to you and like said these things they're probably concerned that um and i don't know them at all but like that you are following what god's word says and um and i know for me like i have friends who who are in the lgbtq community as well um and I love them and they know that I love them. But I also have, like, when I read the Bible, I think the Bible is kind of clear on what Jesus wants us to do. And so that doesn't negate my love for them. But if I love them too, I should also be able to speak truth. My my best <laughs> my best friends are people who will be like, Lexi, that's wrong. You need to work on that. And I'm like, oh, right now I'm mad at you. But it's good because now I'm going to go back and think about what you said and compare it to truth. And um I would much rather have people in my life who are willing to tell me the hard things and help me wrestle through things um, instead of just like always being like, great, you're doing great. Um, which again, I know like part of that community, there's a lot of hurt in. Um, there's a lot of like brokenness that, that people have caused because they aren't able to listen to stories. And I do think that 
that as the Christian church, we should be better able at like, there's a verse in Proverbs 18 that says, he who, who speaks before he listens, it's his folly and shame. <laughs> and that verse always gets me too, because I talk a lot, like I like talking, um, but I want to listen to people's stories first so that they know that I do actually deeply care about them and love them. But if God's word is true, it has hard things to say to me. It has hard things to say to a lot of people, but that ultimately they would be for our good, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and there's there's kind of an interesting line as well that I think every every person kind of wrestles with as far as like hearing the word and kind of seeing seeing what's what's hitting where in in your heart with it of um just kind of because because there's the concept ultimately of like we we do want people who can look at us and be like hey you may not understand it now but i i want you to come around to this at some point through your experience i want to warn you about this now but then you'll come around to it and then there's certain parts of it where and, and i don't know i'm i'm not being very organized about this thought right now and i apologize okay. <laughs> specifically around um certain facets of kind of what what the word's given us there's that's probably where i tend to keep the most questions just in like okay if this is the word of god and jesus is the son of god and god is inspiring the work in this so where is where's the human element of the bible because in in the bible as we see it it is also written by people and we and i was actually having a really fascinating conversation about this uh, a while ago where uh folks who have studied like the torah and folks who have studied the quran have a very common criticism of the bible in how uh, diverse its translations are in how how many how many new translations there are how 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 far it has strayed from its roots that is a very common criticism that is leveled at christianity is that it is strayed far from its source and there's no real way to track it back unless you're looking purely at the torah or unless you're looking purely at the Quran, because those are very, 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 very base sources. And how am I tracking this back? I'm tracking this back <laughs> because my struggle that I find specifically around those passages in the Bible that really hit me as honestly being kind of wrong, um, to be perfectly frank about it, is... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I honestly don't know right now whether I will come to understand it at some point. There will be a lesson that I am given around how this, this perspective of mine may change or whether this is just something I am going to have to wrestle with, with people I love, like mm -hmm. with my partner, with my family, um, whether I'm going to have to have that in contention for the rest of my life like we're seeing it happen in the church right now we have very liberal churches and we have very conservative churches that are now springing up in this environment and ultimately 
I can't really decide whether that reckoning is good or bad. Is it good that we're really delving into the details and the hardcore discussion around the really, really core hurting topics? Or is it causing further division? It's probably a little bit of both. So that's a very, very long-winded response because I honestly don't know. Um, and I feel like that piece of my faith is probably the hardest one. It always has been. It, it honestly always has been because what Paul talks about specifically in sexuality and in the treatment of the LGBTQ plus community is very clear in how he wants to talk about it. But I struggle because Paul is not God. Paul is inspired by God, but Paul is not God. Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. Like we have the Sermon on the Mount. We hear what Jesus is saying. We have the Ten Commandments. We've heard what God is saying. And that's that's where I kind of, and I'm and I'm not saying this as like I am against you. I'm saying this as I have oh. a lot of questions around that. And it's it's both inspiring and it's also like a little scary to delve into with both both sides, both sides yeah. of questions. Man, I, I mean I love please don't ever feel like you can't throw out questions because that's what this is about. <laughs> and if I don't know answers, I'll be like, hey, let me like find someone who does too. Um, but I, but I do think you bringing up like how do essentially your question is how do I know the Bible is reliable? Is it just written by humans? Is it actually written by God? And so the claim that we have is that the Bible like has been inspired by God, so that God used humans like Paul to write down the words that he wanted. But just like not everything Paul wrote, we would consider scripture. Like he could have written a grocery list and we wouldn't be like, oh, scripture. Like there are certain things that, that we would say yeah, are inspired. Yeah. Find <laughs> right. That we probably won't find that. <laughs> right. But we, we wouldn't say that those are inspired because like, if I'm just looking at new Testament documents, like those new Testament documents, had to be already being passed around the churches. It wasn't like an authoritarian pronouncement of like these ones you must accept because like we agree with what's in there. Um, they were already being passed around by the churches. They had to be connected to an apostle. Like there were a bunch of like things that they had to reach as far as a category goes of like, hey, this this checks off the boxes. That's why they debated about which ones to include for so long until 327 AD. Um, but, but what we see is like you talked about the Torah and the Quran. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to think through too. Um, I know that the Quran can only be read truly in Arabic, right? And they want to keep it pure. What's so interesting about the Bible is that it has been translated into more languages than any other book and has been spread throughout the world more than any other book. Like it truly is at the top of the bestseller list every week. We just, they don't want to put it up there anymore because it's annoying. <laughs> like there it is, the Bible again. Um, but, but I think there's, one of the cool things about no matter what language you read the Bible in, like right now we could take our whole conversation and have someone translate into Spanish and we would still get like the gist of our conversation, right? Now there are certain words that we would say in English that maybe wouldn't translate as well, just like there are certain words in Hebrew and in Greek that wouldn't necessarily translate as well. But what we have are not the original documents because there's a whole like, man, I could go through a whole thing about this because I love this topic too. But we do have very, very old copies of like there's the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus of like our like oldest documents um, full, fully putting together the Bible. And and we see that 
what we have today has not changed. Like there's a trustworthiness, a reliability of the scriptures. Um, there's this, this period of this group of studying called um, textual criticism. And if you're a textual critic, you're basically trying to say, is what we have today, what the original document said, has anything changed over time? And although you could argue like that the Quran like is always being said in Arabic, the, the English Bible that I have in front of me, I do think like is reliable and trustworthy. And the cool thing is I can go on blueletterbible.com and like look at any of the Greek and Hebrew words from our most ancient manuscripts. And those are trustworthy. Um, and so, I mean, if we, if we trust really any ancient book, like whether we're talking about Homer's Iliad or something else, like we actually have to say like the Bible is the most well-attested to document. Um, the number of manuscripts that we have it like it is kind of mind blowing. And the more we have, the more we can compare. And so are there like spelling differences and things like that? Like, yeah, but actually, even because of those, we can trace back the line of like, here's here's where this one came from, because it has this same spelling error. And um, so I would say that when I look at like the Torah and I look at the Quran and I look at the Old Testament, I look at the New Testament, I I am fully convinced from the research that I've done that it is a trustworthy book and that it is God speaking through people. Um, and so Paul, although God used Paul's personality to write things, like even when you look at the gospel accounts, Mark is one of my favorites. I just think he's funny. And so he'll describe things like Jesus's clothes in the transfiguration were whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And you're like, that's not how I would describe it. <laughs> but it's like, like there are, God used personalities, but he is, if we trust that he is in, like wants to get us this scripture, like he inspired people to write these things. And this book has lasted for so long. It's lasted through persecution. It's lasted like there's a bunch of things that you're like, wow, this book is crazy, like written over a 1500 year span, like with a consistent message, like all these different things where you think there's something unique about this. And so if I'm trying to figure out the truth, like this is probably the book I'd want to start with because it is hard to explain unless God is behind it. Um, so now it's my turn for the long-winded answer. But but essentially, like I, I'm so glad you brought up things like the Torah and the Quran. I think if you do um, dig into the textual criticism, what we have like is trustworthy. And like granted, the Bible says things I don't like either. Like I'm prideful and the Bible talks more about pride than almost anything else. <laughs> really annoying because I like to think that I'm better than I actually am. Um, and I think we have these certain things that sometimes we expect God to just make us feel good. And God is, is if he's who he says he is, he's holy and righteous. And all of us, when we look at the Bible should walk away and be like, Ooh, like I need to work on this. And, but it's not in a way that it's all about my work in doing it. It's that God saying, Hey, here's my standard. I know that you will have trouble meeting this, but I'm here to help you walk through that and help you get to what ultimately is my standard, but what ultimately is, is my best for you. So, um, yeah. Okay. Now my long winded thing is over back to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. It's like, cause one, one thing that you're bringing up, especially in, like the translations and in the in the tracing of the message is there's 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 a lot of emphasis that's placed like I think that is just natural in human nature on having having 
like the joining of Christianity is supposed to be an easy thing, right? Like it's, you're supposed to always be like, you're, you are saved. You're good. You're set. Don't need to worry about anything else. Like that's, that's, that's very much kind of the, 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 the marketing of <laughs> Christianity is done by other people, but on the inside of it, there's an accountability that is very, very much a core piece of it that tends to get lost if you don't have some system for it. Um, I think it's really healthy for people to have communities of people looking at each other. And if, if, if you're especially in a really healthy and grounded Christian community, there should be space for that. There should be space for um, admitting to mistakes and working through difference and problem solving and having your heart be committed to community instead of to the self and that's one of the hardest parts of being a christian is actually doing all those things because <laughs> you have to um and you can kind of see throughout the world in many types of faith communities it's it's interesting to watch how people go about responding to kind of the lessons even even if you know the lessons of the bible over a long period of time you don't stop learning them like i i found jesus again after i'd gone through a period of time without him and pretty much the, the, the level of self growth and healing that I got after I decided, Hey, maybe, maybe I don't agree with the Bible and everything yet, but at the very least, I will start listening to you at the very, very least. I want to start talking with you again. I want to start hearing what you have to tell me. When I did that, that was really, really excruciating in a personal landscape because like it was very much Jesus looking at me and being like are you sure like are you actually sure you want to do this because the way you've been going is easy but it doesn't mean that you're happy like you you reached out and talked to me for a reason and so there's a lot of assumptions around like, oh, like when, when Christians are in it, then you're immediately ignorant and like blinders on and oh, like you're all sad and everything. And it's no, like everyone I've ever met inside Christianity, like in my, in my communities has always tried their best in every instance to be as humble and as connected and as kind and as self-reflective as possible. And the Bible tells us very clearly to be self-reflective. It's like, no, you, you, no, look inside my guy. It's, it's time, <laughs> it's time to look at these things. And you can, you can see that, you can see that happening. Um, I can very much say my life gets worse when I'm not actively reflective and talking to God. Do I 100% agree with everything that's in the Bible? No, but I know from personal evidence and personal proof through starting to walk and starting to live that, yeah, my world is clearer. I am better receptive to those I love. I am more able to engage. I am kinder. 
Um, I love people harder. I look out for my family more when I'm actively praying, when I'm actively talking to God versus in the times in my life where I haven't been able to do that. I hide more. I keep truth away from people. I act impulsively. Um, I just know that now, like where at this point, given that I'm still early in this, it's like looking at God and being like, okay, cool. I am still working with you on some of these things. Like there's, there's, there's some things that are really, 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 really tight to my heart through personal experience that I don't, I don't know about this yet, but like, I'm ready to at least start walking. Like, and just in the starting to walk, just in that piece, that was a very necessary, but painful, like kind of breaking of the old and welcoming in the new. And yeah, I am healthier for it. And I remember talking with my dad about that too, because my, my dad last summer, I, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know how much, you know, exactly about that, but my dad was very adamant that he was taking me to Israel very adamant that he needed to do this um he was going to make it happen and he just he just knew that that had to happen and sure enough that happened and this whole floodgate of the love of god opened up and i was able to come home and yeah at the very core what jesus talks about is just come to me just just come to me we'll figure this out you and me, we're going to figure this out. Like, I'm not going to abandon you. You and I can have disagreements from time to time, but I'm not leaving you. Like bringing back to like the, the stubborn love that we talk about earlier, like God's love is so stubborn that he's going to look at all of us and all of our sin and all of our pride and all of my deceit and all of all of our hiding and our sin and all of our everything. He's going to be like, nope, I'm right here. I'm not moving. <laughs> Even though you really want me to do, guess what? I'm not going anywhere. I literally made all this. I can't go anywhere. Even if I wanted to, I'm going to stay right here. And so that's what gives me the most peace about it is knowing that we're all in the same boat on that. Like, None of us have the full story, but we have the path to get there. None of us have the full picture, but we have the path to figure it out at the end of our lives. Like these are these are little glimpses that build on each other over the course of our lives into seeking truth and finding it. And so, yeah, that that's something that has always given me great hope about these conversations is like, no, right now, that's something I really, really wrestle with. And it makes me very angry sometimes. But at the very base of all of it, it's like, no, like, if God can sit behind me, and very aggressively love me, even when I'm pouting and being upset and, and hurting people and being in sinful ways, if he can sit behind me, when I'm doing all kinds of stuff like that and still look at me at the end of the day and say I love you at the very very least I can mirror that with myself with my friends with my community with the people like all people of the world that we are called to love equally um and so that that's the hope 
And of course, I wouldn't have gotten that without the gospel, which is all about hope. That is the cornerstone is hope and love and redemption. And so those are the ways that the gospel makes the most sense to me. It's like, okay, like there is hope, you guys. The, the world has been ending for the last 3,000 years of human history plus. It's probably been ending for the last 10,000 years if we're going to really look at it. Every generation has had something that has brought, brought us all to the brink of ruin. And we've all gotten through it somehow. And that's that's God. That's just God. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, again, you and I are, are both lovingly and happily long-winded people. And I, we are. This is perfect. Sorry, Janelle, you're not even getting a chance to talk because I, I have something else. <laughs> Well, like, so just at the beginning of what you said, again, I just appreciate you saying exactly what you're thinking, because that's where good conversations happen. Um, and I remember, so it was two years ago, I had a student who was like, do I actually want to follow Jesus? And she stayed after class with me. And it probably sounded like I was arguing her out of it if you had been a fly on a wall, because she's like, like, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not really sure. And I was like, here's, here's what it looks like. Like I described before, he he's asking to be your Lord. And so it's not like a boss that you check in and out like on daily week, weekdays, and then you get to do your own thing on Saturday and Sunday. Like he's asking to be Lord of your life, which means he literally tells us we're going to take up our cross and follow him. Like we legitimately die to self every day. And so it is true that if we are like living in sinful things or struggling with a couple with different things, right. That following Jesus is going to be painful at times, like as it chips away the things that don't look like him. So I remember Rosaria Butterfield has written a couple books about like being in, she was a lesbian professor in Syracuse. And she said that when she decided to accept Jesus, her life was a train wreck because like all the things that she had relied on before that, all of a sudden she realized like, God's going to slowly chip these away. And it hurts because this has been my support up until this point. And so that's why I think like we don't talk about God being loving and hopeful and he is, but like love can be hard. Like love can be the type of thing that says, I care about you so much. I want you to see what is good for you and what's not good. And, um, and I'm going to challenge you to, again, like truly follow me. Right. So, and so I think that what you talked about too, is when you pray to God and you ask him and you felt that closeness to him, I know that like personally, like I, can be led astray <laughs> by things. So how do you determine, because um, I always go back to the Bible as my source, um, how do you determine if it's the voice of God or if it's just your voice that's that you're hearing? An age-old question. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was, like, that question especially is a really interesting one because I've waffled a lot on it. And just, just, mm -hmm. for, just, just for full transparency, I've waffled a lot I appreciate on it, it last yeah. year because I actually over this last year, I wound up in a situation where I thought I was hearing the voice of God in relating to a relationship that I had, which very much was not anywhere near what I thought it was going to be. Ultimately, I do think it was a uh, emotion of God, but I think it was God trying to bring about something to my awareness. Mm -hmm. um, I think probably to both of us, like my, my ex and I are still in good communication. We're still good friends. Um, but it was a very painful situation all the way around where both of us had thought that we'd heard uh, God telling us to be together. And it was a very, very sudden thing of like, 
oh, okay, we are trying this out. All right. Like we have, we were predestined. And of course, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, when you go through a really, a really major life shift, you are very dysregulated. You are brand new to the world again. You are just, just, you have no idea what up versus down is. And so like when I got back from Israel, I completely, completely upended almost everything. And for a couple months after that, I was just really trying to figure everything out all over again. And so in this, in this partnership that I had, it was about a three month timeline. Um, both of us heard very similar things about each other of like, like you, you guys are going to be together. Um, this is what that's going to look like. And of course it was not, not a good match. Um, we're very opposite people. And so when that ended, that really threw that up again for me, where I was like, well, pardon my French, but shit, what am I supposed to do? Like, I thought this was the way I was destined for. I thought I was going to go off and, and live this perfectly, perfectly upright, married Christian woman life. And it was going to look very lovely and traditional. And that did not happen. That that did not happen. And it took me a couple a couple more months of really figuring that out of like, oh, okay, like there's a way you can prove what things are uh, coming. And ultimately coming out of that whole that whole situation and what that looked like. It was very much around like, okay, can can what you're hearing be verified like by other people? Because when um, when my family members had taken this to our pastor, for example, who went with the two of us to Israel, like and everything, my pastor was very much like, okay, okay, everybody, give it time. <laughs> I've heard this before. Everybody, cool your hot shots and just sit down. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been through this rodeo before. You just just give it time because you cannot verify this right now, and should listen to him. But um, ultimately, it's looking at the word. It's um, listening to good counsel. That's another big part of it that I really came to was like, okay, like in my life, my dad. And my mom, who is who's not with the faith, but she, she's pretty clued in. Um, both both those voices who are older, who've lived through life a bit more, who've gone through a lot of the same things. Like if if you if you can't verify it with the first two of those, you're already on rocky ground. Um, and then, <laughs> like of course, you can have internal feelings and compulsions. Like that's another thing I'll get sometimes. Is like okay, I I really need to look at my morning bible meditation app this morning i really need to look at that today um and it was a it was a strong compulsion that led me to going on the trip in the first place it was a strong calling in the spirit like hey i need you to sit and meditate like right now i need you to just sit right now um but if it's not one of those three and if it's just my brain having a little fart of a moment um <laughs> no <laughs> No, no. Um, and that's probably been the, the biggest way I can verify that. I've also had some pretty interesting phenomenon happen to me with uh, 
another friend that Janelle knows, Janelle, <laughs> the other Janelle, <laughs> where like going to prayer groups and things like that and having very strange like visions and things like that happening in people around you that correspond to different people in a group. So there's ways of the spirit that are moving very much in real time that aren't solely on the Bible, but you, you gotta, you gotta kind of tie it back. If it, if it doesn't tie back, then you, you need some more verification. It's my very, very long response to that, but no, it's okay. We just do long responses. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would agree with you in that I always check against the Bible and I mean, admittedly, I wish the Bible said, Lexi, move here in 2024. You know, like, like mm -hmm. I want the specificity of that, like, that'd be great. Um, but I do think that God's designed our world in such a way that, that he wants us to spend time with him so that we learn to make decisions like he would make. And that comes from being in his word. And there are certain decisions that aren't moral decisions. Like when people choose colleges, it's not like this is a moral decision and this is a, an immoral decision. Um, what I've always appreciated as I've been looking at, like, is this God's voice speaking to me or not, is there are very specific verses in the Bible that say it is the will of God for and it includes things like it's the will of God for you to believe in the one he has sent. It is the will of God for you to be thankful. Ooh, that one's hard. <laughs> it's the will of God for you to abstain from sexual immorality. Like it's the will, like there's all these things that are actually like really simple to follow. And I've always been convinced that if I'm following those things that clearly God's word says are his will, then he's going to guide me in those other decisions, which again, like are big ones to us, like who are we supposed to marry? Where are we supposed to live? Like we're we're not gonna see a verse that says, Rachel, like move to LA. But if you are spending time in God's word and doing those things that he asks, I have no doubt that he guides and directs um, and helps us follow and make decisions the way he would make because his His goal is to make us more like himself, like while still having our own personalities and, um, and that I think is just a beautiful thing. So I do feel like this life is full of the chipping away of me and the parts that are not like God and the parts that that are against what he wants and that I become more like him and I make decisions like he would make. But I also just have this peace because as I walk through tough decisions, as I walk through breakups, as I walk through things that are hard, like I have of the universe who, as you described, is aggressively loving me, <laughs> which sometimes means that he is going to tell me like, hey, you have to work on this because this does not match up with what I want you to do. But he does it out of ultimate love. And so, yeah, sometimes the Christian life is hard because it's self-denial. It's picking up that cross, like crosses are rough. <laughs> um, but but yeah, but I, I think it is really important to wrestle through, like, how do we know if it's God speaking to us? Because I think there is a lot of confusion in the Christian world today, partially because people are um, are kind of being their own gods in some ways and not really looking to what scripture says or not really trying to to see. And, and I think that often it comes from a heart of like, I see these people and my heart breaks for them. And how could God not love that? Or how could not, not love what they're doing? And again, I know that you've had hard conversations even in regards to, to LGBTQ. Um, but I, I've once heard someone say, how dare I think that I could be more loving than God, hmm. which is like kind of a hard statement that if God says that something is according to his will, right? And I can care for someone and love them. But if I'm like, God's wrong in that they, they should be allowed to do this. Well, then I'm almost saying that like 
I, I can be more loving than God in this. I'm allowing this because I think it's more helpful for them. And yet, does he actually know more or do I know more? Does that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, where is the position of like my authority versus God's authority? Like, like, am I putting myself in the authority or is God putting himself in the authority over me? Uh, that's very that's very real um and especially when it comes to those questions around like like i as a fallible person must know the answer like (laughs) no i'm i'm the worst person to put in the in the driver's seat on that and also that's that's a really good point to make around how we like the Christian world is going through a reckoning right now, like a really, really, really aggressive reckoning in the United States. We're watching it every day. Um, And a lot of the reckoning is coming around authority. It's coming around who, who's speaking, who is speaking for God? How are they speaking for God? Are we actually listening to God through them? Uh, one of my favorite shows that's come out in the past couple of years is actually uh, Midnight Mass, like a horror themed show on Netflix. But it does it does a beautiful job of it's it's written and directed by an ex Catholic, um, but it actually does a really good job of not punishing believers. It does a really good job of looking at um, and kind of dissecting that question of who is authority, how how do we live with the word, how do we abuse the word unintentionally, and also how do we abuse the word intentionally. Um, it's a scary show, don't recommend it for everybody. I had a full on, like, it was very triggering for me. I, I legitimately had a really, really strong um, emotional reaction to it, which took me a couple days to come out of. So I don't recommend it for the faint of heart. It is very difficult to watch for people who have struggled with abusive faith in the past. It's very, very difficult to watch for that reason, but it does do a really beautiful job of not blaming faith and not blaming the belief in higher powers and the belief in the Holy Spirit for those abuses. It does a very good job of separating those out and looking at them very critically, I would I would say. <laughs> Ladies, uh, this has been a really beautiful conversation. Oh, <laughs> uh, just a couple couple final things here. Uh, we're, we're running late. So here's here's my thought. Rachel, you you brought up so many great things. And even now, I mean, I don't know if we got to any of the questions that you originally posed, but uh, <laughs> we did have a nice little talk about social justice issues. So we'll, we'll say that we did. We, we answered some of that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, next year, I'm hoping that we'll be doing this stuff again. I'd love to have you back on um, again. We can kind of touch base and we can sort through some more questions if you're open to that and we can talk more about that later and I'd love to have Lexi back on to talk to you about some more of this stuff because this conversation has been beautiful yeah and uh, when Lexi talked to me because I talked to her about possibly coming on and she shared a little (laughs) bit of her background and I thought oh Lexi you're the perfect person to come on and and chat and have a good conversation here Um, and you know I, I think some of the points that you guys have been talking about, like authority of scripture and uh, who do we trust with that? It's so, those are such important questions. And even the other day, um, a friend of mine, she shared this meme 
and it was the criticism of Christianity. And it was something about, um, you know, loving people is the most ultimate thing. And why can't Christians do that? And I messaged her and I said, um, great meme or whatever, but uh, loving people is not the ultimate commandment, right? She goes, well, you're just piecing things together. And I said, no. I said, the ultimate commandment is to love God. And the only way that we love God is to know that he first loved us. Um, and getting back to that prayer that I prayed before we even started all this, to know him is eternal life. And we can't know him unless we know his love, to love him first and love people second, because we trust that he loves people better than we ever could, kind of getting to Lexi's point. We're going to wrap up with the final question here. Lexi, if you have any final thoughts, or Rachel, you each could have 30 seconds. But here well, we're not a, good at that. <laughs> here's the final question. Everyone, <laughs> everyone answers. Um, and then if you have any final thoughts, the Finding Something Real podcast is a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Real is an acronym for those things. All things that can be found in relationship with Jesus. Which of those things, restoration, eternity, authenticity, or love, stands out to you the most in your life right now, Lexi, and why? Okay, I'm going to go with love um, because I do think that in a variety of ways, God has reminded me that he He does ultimately love me, that he wants what's best for me and was willing um, to come and die for me. I think last week, Janelle and I were on this missions trip where I got to explain the gospel so many times, <laughs> and I just kept thinking, this is the best news ever. Like, I just don't know. Yeah, I would struggle if I didn't actually know God's love in that way, which again, can be hard when he shows me the things I need to work on. But I am, man, so grateful for the love of God. And um, yeah, that it is satisfying. So it's beautiful too. Back to beauty. Okay. Was that 30 Full seconds? Circle. Did I do Full well? circle. Oh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Rachel, any final thoughts as we wrap up here? Thank you so much for being here. No worries. Um, I'd say, I'd say love too. It's like, I, I, I've been thinking about both of you expressing like the first commandment is to love, love the Lord, your God with all your heart. Right. And one of it's like through that, we unlock everything else. Cause if you truly love God, you must truly love everyone. And from, if you truly love everyone, you must truly love your partner. You must truly love your brother. You must truly love everybody because he's the doorway to having all these other things flow freely to you. Um, and like just, just a couple of weeks ago, I watched Jesus freaks for the first time, like the Jesus revolution film. And it was, it had so reminded me of that, of coming across difference and loving God is, is really the way you get to unlock all those doors. And so, yeah, like just kind of reflecting on your, your conversation with your friend and the, and the, the meme and it's like a lot of people would initially interpret that as just like oh see we got him we got him like it's it's not love over everything and it's like no it's it actually in a way it still is love over everything because if you love god then you recognize that god loves everything like you recognize that he's looking out for everyone in the best ways that he can that he's connected to everybody and yeah that's love that's love so god is love right amen and uh yeah he first loved us praise the lord because <laughs> we can't do it mm -hmm. uh i think to be continued hopefully um i'll just say until next time <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.